Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Steve and Steve Talk RPG. Today we're going to be discussing a, a few different player types based off the article by Robin D. Laws, Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastery. So there are, there are a few different player types, and we'll go ahead and break through those and, and talk about the classics and how these compare to what we feel are classic player types. So do we want to start with the classic player types first to get those out of the way? I think, yeah, you know. That's probably a good place to start because really where my thought process with this was is that, you know, last time we talked about session zero and, and all this. Well, if you know what kind of player you are, you know what kind of questions to ask. It informs what you do in a session zero, and it also allows you to think about what you're going to find with the new group in particular. And so I thought it was a good kind of follow up to that to... um talk about some player types. The classics, you know, you've always heard power gamers or munchkins or min-maxer kind of falls into that, although not exactly the same, I don't think. But, you know, these are the people who sit down and build out their character to be as effective as statistically possible. That's the way I would define them, would traditionally have defined them. I completely agree with you. I've known and played with a bunch of power gamers over the over the years that I've been playing, and, and they're always about when you level up a character, or even if you don't level characters, say you have a levelless system like Cyberpunk or, or anything, it's all about how do I make this the best character, most powerful character I can be? How do I go from... How do I basically circumvent the RNG of dice? And that's what power gamers a lot of time are about. How, how do I make this so that I'm not relying on the dice to make this either pass or fail? I'm basically forcing this to happen. Yeah, and I think some of that in particular grows out of people with a wargaming background or are heavily into board games, possibly. Um, also, somewhat the video game culture kind of promotes it in that, well, this kind of piece of gear is better than that piece of gear. And thus you can do more damage, which means you kill the bad guy better. Or I've never been one to be into the tactical war games, be it, you know, Warhammer or any other one of them. But my understanding is essentially it is you're fighting out a battle with statistics. And so you're the general. And so you're moving these pieces around in what hopefully would be the most statistically sound way to do it. I know you've done a little bit of that, haven't you, Wargaming? I've, I've done quite a bit Wargaming, and I know a lot of Wargaming is being as tactical as possible, but again, it has its player types, but a lot of Wargaming is also, again, how do I circumvent the random numbers that is dice? How do I get around, you know, if you have a plus 10 to hit every time, well, almost anything you roll on a die is going to hit. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's power gaming, I guess, is legally stacking the deck in your advantage. Right. Well, and in some cases, illegally stacking the deck in your advantage, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, again, that gets to rules as written versus rules as intended, and we're going to have a field day with that one, I think. Oh, someday. yeah, we're going to... That's... I don't know when we're getting there, but when we get there, it's going to be going to be a fun time, which... <laughs> because I'm very much rule of cool 
over anything else. <laughs> anyway, the first system I ever learned to GM was Palladium. And mm. the only person I'm convinced who can ever do rules as written in Palladium would be Kevin Symbieta. Because <laughs> everyone else is still looking for the rule. <laughs> he just knows it's there because he wrote the book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, you know, so that, that's, that's your kind of top-down classic of power gamers. And then the one, and you've heard us use this term before, is murder hobos. Yeah, murder hobos are anybody who's, it's their entire goal to kill thing, collect loot, and move on to next thing to kill. And that's not always, like, that's, that's a very generalized term, or ge very generalized statement. But in most cases, murder hobos do not care about the bits between killing things. Right. It's kill thing, get stuff, win prize. Sometimes stuff is prize. Sometimes stuff is prize. Sometimes dead thing is prize. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, the other thing to remember is that none of these categories are exclusive. No. Now, some may not play well with others, and that's kind of, again, what we're kind of looking to talk about here is understanding what you are and how to fit in because of all the different tables I've ever played at, I've never played at a single table that was all the same type of person. Oh, no. That would be <laughs> miserable. <laughs> of course, you know, so you have your power gamers, your murder hobos, and then there's the serious role players. Oh, I, I love these guys. I've played with a couple serious role players. The ones that never come out of character. <laughs> I, uh, way back in college, knew a, uh, a guy who, and I was not there for this, he played in a Star Wars game with some other people I knew. He was playing a Force-sensitive plant. And the only way he could communicate, and I don't completely understand how they justified this in the fiction, was by using this Beavis and Butthead remote control thing. <laughs> it was like a noisemaker. And he did it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well... I had convinced a player one time he'd rolled so low on his charisma. And this was back when I was mean as a DM. I was making people roll dice straight. So you rolled the 46 six times. And your first roll was your strength stat. Your second roll was your dex. Like just straight down the straight down the board. I remember a few times back in the day it was 3d6 down the line. Yeah. And he had rolled so low on his charisma that we were joking that he just had, like, other beings talk for him. Like, fairy folk <laughs> that just hung out and talked for him. And so it was on me, the DM, to do his talking for him. Oh, wow. Which I thought was hilarious because it was like, oh, you're really going to let me do this situation? All right. <laughs> so to get back to it, serious role players, I think, sometimes or that's what I'm using in, in, in terms, sometimes get a reputation for being kind of the stick-in-the-mud people that are no fun. and Right, and serious role players don't have to be that way. I mean, in media we consume there are serious role players who really show it off. Like, I would say, you know, we, we keep coming back to Critical Role, and we're going to have a Critical Role episode soon, but Liam O'Brien's a serious role player. Taliesin Jaffe's a serious role player. You know, those guys are not joking around at that table most of the time now it's other people that that are joking around and having fun outside of the game but when they sit down and play it's a lot of i'm in character i'm playing my character and i'm reacting as my character would yes yes it's, that's good examples of, of, of those 
yeah, both of those. I mean, serious role players are always welcome at the table because they they will at the very least take the game seriously and go and know, you know. Yes, and I've also seen, and this will kind of trickle trickles in some with all these categories, is that a player of almost any type will tend to bring out elements of that type from other players because almost no one I've ever met is a pure any one type. No. No, everybody's a little mix of everything. Which, of course, brings us to everyone's favorite category next. Uh, yeah, rules lawyers. Yay. (laughs) Now, what we mean by rules lawyer, what it means in the gaming scene, for any of you that are not familiar with it, is it essentially is that person at the table who knows the rule book inside and out, and, you know, every instance they got well it actually should be this in some games that's fine and well accepted when you're being a rules lawyer just for the sake of being pedantic and being a rules lawyer that's when i start going i don't like playing with you (laughs) (laughs) yeah see now like for me personally i'm not the biggest rules is written adherent in the first place i'm much more like you mentioned earlier kind of a rule cool guy but I will also admit to not being above going, yeah, I know there's this loophole and I'm going to take advantage of it. Well, there's there's a difference between that and being a player at a table and then arguing with the DM because they decided to do something away that maybe isn't exactly how the book's worded. Well, yeah, you and I had a short discussion in our session the other night where I insisted that the action I was deciding to do wasn't actually going to work. Right, exactly. I mean, sticking to the rules and playing the game by the rules is not a bad thing. Rules lawyers can get a bad name and a bad reputation. Again, like when we started this one where I said, oh, yay. But they can get a bad reputation because they're known for dragging and slowing everything down. They're known for bringing games to a halt just so we can go and review a book that says... You know, in in sentence 13 on page number 485, it says, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the other thing, though, is is to a certain point, as long as they're, I'm going to say being responsible about it is the best term I can think of quickly, they can actually be an asset to have at the table because they just have a habit of knowing these weird niche rules that a lot of people don't bother to memorize. Well, as a DM, they're great because you can look at them and go, hey, how does X work? (laughs) Yes. And they're just basically an encyclopedia. It's just, hey, how does does flying work? And they go, oh, well, flying works like this. And they can recite it, you know, or point you in the right direction. And rules lawyers are, are great. It's just, if you are a rules lawyer, be mindful of the table. Be mindful of, you know, if, if you're, if you're going to bring up a rule and go, Hey, this works differently in the book, maybe let somebody move on and then go, Oh, by the way, you know, later go, Oh, by the way, this is how it's written. Be respectful of the table and, and be respectful of everybody else there. Don't just grind everything to a halt to prove a point. Yes, very much so. Which brings us to our next category of agents of chaos, who are another one that they sound like a fun time until you play with one and your party ends up broke and you can't figure out why the rogue has all the money. Well, and, and see, I would think Agent of Chaos is more that person who 
just for lack of a better way to say it, every now and then they just want to poke that hornet's nest with a stick. That's what I was going to say. They just poke the bear. They see it. They go, that's a bear. What happens when I poke it? I, I mean, I played with a good buddy of mine who was an agent of chaos all the time. He played with a familiar that he could send out and essentially just do his own bidding and literally went on an adventure, came back, and the town was on fire because his familiar had stirred up enough chaos that, that the town they were staying in had just, like, it, it just stirred up enough chaos that it just caught the town on fire. And it was like, that's that's a very Agent of Chaos thing. Yes. Yeah, I, now, I will admit that there are times where I will do things a bit Agent of Chaos-y, but more in the context of, I think it'll be interesting to see... What happens is if I do this thing that I can justify within within character, but this could have some very interesting consequences in the story. I have 100% gone and been in campaigns where playing as a player, they've said some crazy thing they want to do. And I just look at them and go, yes, let's do that crazy thing just to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And, and. To me, to a certain point, that's that's half the fun of role-playing is sometimes you can go, well, yeah, what would happen if we did make the queen wear rubber pants? Well, agents, agents of chaos oftentimes, some, some are, but oftentimes agents of chaos aren't super attached to the characters that they roll. This is true. And, and because of that, so I got mauled by a bear. That's okay. That was that other guy. <laughs> yeah. And and the thing is, to a certain point, like you say, as with the rules lawyer, it's everything in moderation. Yes. Don't be an agent of chaos to the point of disruption at the table level, not necessarily in the game world. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go harassing the other players just to harass them. Right. Have good justification for it. Try and be, again, it goes back to try and be like a decent person, at least at the table. Your character can be whatever, but try and not cause distress just by being. Yes. Rule number one, don't be an asshat. Yeah, exactly. And that's basically the classics. Now, Robin D. Laws breaks it down again to the power gamer, but the power gamer in their definition has a little bit different twist on it. They see that it's more about success defined by the rule system I see that in a lot of ways as kind of the how you win at a video game formula. His right. description of this. And and by the way, folks, we'll throw a link in the show notes. This is actually, it's available online. We'll throw a link in there. But um, this is a book he wrote called Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering. Now, if you're not familiar, Robin D. Laws is a pretty big name in the game design world. Currently, I think he does most of his work with the Gumshoe System and Pelgrain Press, but he has a lot of other credits to his name. This particular book was published by Steve Jackson Games in, like, 2001. Right. But, yeah, to me, his definition of a power gamer is the way most of us play a video game. Right. It's all about the game and less about less about the role-playing. Not necessarily not at all about the role-playing, but optimizing for the best abilities, lowering that random number generation, and another quote, you want to put the game back in the term role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, again, this is one, if you get too much of this at the table, in my opinion, for my taste, 
Now almost everyone has to do it or it becomes the Bob show. Right. And everyone else is just along for the ride. So, again, not bad to make an effective, well-thought-out, planned character. In my opinion, what you need to do is watch that you're not doing that to the extent to which it's making everyone else at the table have less good time. I think eh, it's a little weird to try and put in words. No, I, I completely agree with what you were just saying is it's very much about it. It can be overwhelming. And it again, rule number one <laughs> goes back to that. And, and a power gamer can get overwhelming at times. And, and to be fair in this type of mindset, you're just doing it the way that you're supposed to do it. And you're not wrong either. No, you're not wrong for playing the game the way you want to play the game. What's wrong, in a sense, is not necessarily ruining, but jeopardizing other people's enjoyment of the game just for your own amusement. Yeah. And so the same way that the power gamer is their term for somebody who prioritizes the game, they use butt kicker in the same way that, that we would use a murder hobo in the sense that that's somebody who is a whole lot less talk and a whole lot more punch. You're talking about characters that are more combat focused, that are more about power and succeeding in the system, and just it makes for a character who's more about kicking butt than, than taking names. Yeah, in this player type, they're not necessarily consumed with being statistically the best fighter whatever for them it's about it's a way to blow off steam it's yeah we're gonna go find a cave full of goblins beat up all the little green people and take their stuff right and i've played those catharsis characters i i've played them in the past they're fun they're easy to roll up you roll up a you know oh well this is a guy that punches things good and that's about all he knows and you don't take them into social interactions. <laughs> <laughs> and again, you know, it, it's not something that's why some people play role-playing games. It, it's to blow off steam. It's to just, you had a bad day and you're going to take it out on that poor bugbear. <laughs> Even though all he did was step out from behind a tree to ask you if you had any gray poupon, but you yeah. don't speak bugbear. So you thought he said, ah, I'm going to eat you. And so you, Cut his head off. Stop giving me ideas. Because <laughs> <laughs> I swear I'm going to use that now. I'm going to be like, you're in the middle of the woods and a bugbear shows up with a jar of mustard. What do you do? <laughs> you know, With an it, empty it, jar of mustard. Uh, you know, and, and so the butt kicker sometimes can be a power gamer. Sometimes, no, they just make, you know... Thurman the Barbarian, who's good, but not, you know, like, okay, yeah, he hits stuff, he hits stuff hard, that's good enough for me. I mean, I have a friend who plays paladins, and that's that's what he does with his paladins, is he is essentially the holy hand grenade. Like, I go in, I say a prayer, I make everybody else say prayers, and then I leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and like I said, again, you know, it's it's some people 
play RPGs strictly as kind of an escape, and it feels good to kind of vicariously let some steam off. I completely agree. That lets us move on from there to the tactician. Mm-hmm. Tacticians are, in my opinion, often defined by analysis paralysis. <laughs> Basically, we're going to make everything as complex and as tactical as possible to make sure that every move that we do is not out of step and make sure that this goes exactly the way that I want it to go. This is the story of the DM who invented the phrase, no plot survives first contact with the players. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, these are, you know, and look, I'll, I'll raise my hand here. You know, a lot of times this may be the guy who's a little bit of a military buff. You know, in my teens, I read boatloads of Tom Clancy. And given the chance, I will overthink damn near anything. Actually, usually I think, 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 and then just go, ah, to hell with it and do something. But anyway. Um, <laughs> like cast calm emotions on our bard. Our barbarian. Well, it wasn't supposed to hit the barbarian. He wasn't <laughs> raging yet. At least he wasn't raging yet. That's the good thing. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's not my fault that I didn't know it was a fiend in the trench coat. <laughs> but no, I I do this too, but not to the extent that I feel like a straight tactician does this. No. no. Or somebody's who tactician is their primary trait. I think people that do that are more, when combat comes around, they're not only writing down what everybody else did, but they're going to take maybe a couple minutes for their turn just to decide on what their next move is going to be. Yeah, I think maybe a way to describe this is the guy who's playing the role-playing game like it's chess. Yeah. You know, and look, there's nothing wrong with planning your turn. There is nothing wrong with any of these player types. And I just want to put it out there because we keep apologizing for the terms we're using. We're not here to try and put you down if you are that type of player. We're just here to point out that these are the player types that exist and this is how they play. And this gives you an idea of you as a player to decide if you want to play with these types of players who you work best with. It's basically a personality quiz. It, essentially, it really is. And I think... The thing is, if you're aware of what type of player you are, it can also inform your choices as to what kind of game you want to play. Because when we get into discussing game systems and so forth, certain types of games tend towards certain player types in the context of the current discussion. You know, so someone who is a power gamer probably isn't going to enjoy something powered by the apocalypse all that much. Right. Just because that's not how that system is set up. Right. And a tactician isn't going to necessarily enjoy a theater of the mind style game. True. Very true. That's another thing. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, a tactician, you know, as most D&D games you'll see now on streams, whatever, lots of people use battle maps and miniatures. And I mean, again... That's a, a choice thing. 5e is very conducive to using them. I don't think, I think it's still a game that is relatively easily playable, straight theater of the mind, if that's how you want to do it. I run a lot of my games theater of the mind. And that's how I learned to role play because I learned role playing when I was a broke ass college student who couldn't afford minis. And this was 
when they were all, you know, pewter and whatever right. cast, when, you know, they cost, I don't remember, probably two or three times what they do now per piece. Right. I completely agree with that. And this was, you know, I cut my teeth on second edition D&D playing in a buddy's basement where we didn't have room to even set up a table to hazard minis. Mm-hmm. Like we were, it was literally a captain's chair and two couches and no room for a table <laughs> to try and play with minis. Yeah. And so again, if you're, if you're a tactician type, that's, you know, maybe a question you, you, something you bring up in a, in a session zero and, and say, you know, Hey, are, you know, we going to use battle maps are we going to do theater of the mind? Is it going to be some of both, you know, just to know, is this game going to be something that I'm going to be happy and I'm going to get my fun and get the most out of. Yes. And then we move on from the tactician to the specialist who favors maybe one character type over the rest. A specialist is probably somebody who, no matter what character they're playing, it might as well be the same character as last time, just with a different name. Your buddy that you mentioned that always plays the paladin. Yeah. At least, well, yeah. <laughs> now, this, although it, when we're talking character type, it doesn't necessarily mean the same class. Right. I mean, like, I remember someone, a good friend of mine, you know, years ago, we were talking about movies. Well, you know, he said, there's John Wayne. John Wayne played John Wayne in every movie he was ever in. Hmm. Well, I mean, I I fall into this in that I like to build characters who are lovable losers. Uh, but I think we all have patterns, I right. think. And that's inevitable. I think what you want to try and avoid is, you know, what do you want to play? Well, I want to be the ninja. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I can understand people that are like, oh, well, what do you want to play? Well, I'm going to play the fighter. You mean the same fighter you played last time? Yeah. Again, it's it's pretty much the same character. I don't want to say avoid. If you like doing that, that's fine. And, and your group is conducive to allow you to keep playing the essentially the same character over and over again. Hey, go for it. Yeah. Hey, if it's your brand of fun, more power to you. But I think, again, unless this is a group that's established and... Everybody, you know, like Bob likes to play the mage and Amy likes to play a druid and Tom plays a fighter. Hey, if y'all are happy with it, great. But if Tom always wants to play a fighter and sometimes Amy would like to play the fighter, but well, Bob, Tom's already playing one, you know, don't be a stick in the mud about it, I guess. At the same time, though, I'm very much to that example and not to get off on too much of a side tangent here i'm very much about you play the character you want to play and unless your group is like oh you have to play a character that fits within this role just if you want to play a fighter and you already have a fighter oh now you got two fighters it's okay <laughs> no yeah i agree with you there i guess yeah it wasn't the greatest example but that's okay i just i wanted to go off onto that little tangent because i've seen a couple different times where Playing in person, especially, where people go, oh, but we already have a fighter. I don't care that we already have a fighter. <laughs> well, you know, and a lot of games now, old school second edition D&D, party makeup was a big factor. You know, you had certain roles that you kind of needed to fill. Yeah, I mean, you had to have certain roles. I mean, 
I've seen, being that I ran so much ad and I've seen full campaigns and games where the party makeup was three bards and a barbarian. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we joked about it being three and a half men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in the way 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons is, is written and a lot of other games, it's much party makeup in terms of the roles of the characters is not nearly as structured as it used to be No, not in a lot of early games. And a, and a lot of other games, a lot of third-party games that aren't D&D aren't as... It's not as necessary that you have one of each character type. Right. And there are a lot of games out now that are classless as well. Exactly. And, and, and that makes it almost impossible to have one of every character. Well, not it's, it makes it almost impossible to have two of the same character. Yes. You almost got to plan it out, which I guess could be at least amusing in a short term thing, but probably yeah. over the course of a long campaign would get tired if nothing else. The three Bobs. This is me and my brother, Bob and my other brother, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, the other thing is, you know, the person who is just fitting this specialist type could also be someone who's very anxious and they know how to do a fighter or whatever, and they're afraid of looking dumb. So they go back to what's familiar. So, you know, look, this hobby is all about everybody having fun. So yeah, have fun. Do what, do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And with that, we move on to the method actor. Yes. Who I love being a method actor. And I think it's it's fun. You know, for me, I I, I won't say I'm exclusively this by any stretch or, or even, you know, primarily this. But this is one I think, you know, we've talked about how bad names. You hear the, the excuse, well, it's what my character would do. Well, that's kind of the core premise of this, I think. The way that that phrase is often used is not what this is. Right. Uh, no, and that's not what this is. This is more of, this is somebody who uses role-playing, and to quote the article again, believes that role-playing is a medium for personal expression. This is This is somebody who plays characters that they identify with on a personal level and falls into being that character because maybe it's somebody they want to be. Maybe it's who they see themselves as in their head. And yeah, I do this a lot. <laughs> it could also be someone who's looking to explore some particular outlook. If if I hold this opinion, what does that mean? And role-playing, among the many other things it can be, can be a safe method to kind of experiment with opinions, so to speak. You know, to see how... Other people would react to them, not telling you to test all your you know opinions out on your friends at the gaming table, but there are people who may even not maybe even not consciously are doing that. Well, in my opinion, role playing is a great catharsis for getting something hashed out. Maybe that you know you can express something through a character that's not expressible in real life. Maybe you're somebody who's a little bit quiet and timid, but you play strong loud characters you know mm -hmm. i i've played with friends i have a friend who has a severe stutter and i play with him all the time and his characters it's 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 really interesting because when he's role-playing he can sort of force himself to get around the stutter that he has mm -hmm. 
and and it's just a good it for a method actor this is somebody who's using a character as maybe an escape maybe again somebody you wish you could be yeah or even in some cases i've played with full-fledged actors who do this a lot somebody who you would never be yeah I've, I've, I've played with legitimate theater actors who they play characters. They're great people, the kindest, nicest people you could ever meet, but they play evil, evil characters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. And it's, and that's where, especially if you're walking into a new group and you've got a couple of these people at the table, you're maybe going, why is Bob the player such a dickhead? Yeah. <laughs> and, and no, Bob the player is not a dickhead. Frederick, his character is a dickhead. Bob's right. a nice guy. <laughs> right. So the method actor sort of bleeds into the next category of the storyteller. Mm -hmm. And and the storyteller is somebody who they have interest in taking part in the narrative, or maybe they have a story to tell with their character. They see themselves as maybe maybe the main character of an adventure. Sometimes that can happen. Sometimes You'll have an adventure where somebody can be become, you know, their character becomes the main character to bring it full circle. We see this in Critical Role with the different arcs, especially in season two now, where these couple episodes we're talking about Talos and Jaffe's character, Caduceus. Mm -hmm. We have these full arcs where each character gets their story flushed out along with the larger narrative. And the storyteller is about telling a story whether it be their story or the story that the DM wants to tell, that's that's on the storyteller. That's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the storyteller, yeah, it, they're there, and it, maybe, too, they're also, they're just focused on the bigger story, maybe even not the story of their character. They may do things that, why would you do it? Because I thought it would make an interesting story. Right. Sometimes, sometimes the storyteller is all about doing the thing so that when you're telling the story of the campaign later to a friend, you're like, hey, I was playing in this campaign and we did X, Y, and Z, and this was the outcome. That's a storyteller's, like, that's what they really play for. That's what they want to see if you're primarily a storyteller. Now, keep in mind, everybody's a little mix of all of these traits. Yes. I mean, there are maybe... A few people that are strictly one or the other, but even then they still probably have a few mixes of, you know, maybe you have a storyteller who's also a method actor. Maybe you have a storyteller who's also a power gamer. You know, it's... it. Yeah, they're not exclusive. Right. But at the same time, most people tend more to one or two than some of the others. Right. And from the storyteller, I think we move on to the casual game. And there's almost always at least one of these at every table. This is the person who eh, probably they want to hang out with their friends and this is what their friends are doing. So they're going to come do it too. They may not particularly care about actually playing the game. They're hanging out with their friends and this is what their friend they're doing with their friends. Right. They're, they're there to have fun. They maybe don't take the game like, They'll take the game seriously, but they don't take the game as seriously as maybe a method actor or a storyteller. These aren't the people who are going to do a podcast about games. No. Well. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean. Maybe. I've I've definitely heard a couple podcasts, uh, well, actual plays that have casual gamers in no, them. actual play, yes. Yes. And I, I've definitely heard a couple um, 
one or two where, you know, I only play this just to have fun. And and that's the casual gamer a lot of the time is just everybody, you know, if you're playing D&D, you're playing it or if you're playing any game, you're playing it to enjoy yourself. And sometimes the casual gamer is a little bit more than just I'm here because my friends are here or I'm here because I want to play this game. And that's really all I just want to do. I just want to play the game, you know. I play whatever kind of characters. I'm just here to have a good time and relax for a couple hours on a Saturday and and move on. Yeah, yeah. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with being a casual gamer. Oh, absolutely not. You know, that's how most people get into it. You know, most people at the start of their, um, well, we won't call it an addiction. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They don't have three shelves of books for various games. You know, they're... Oh, there's a book? And and to some casual <laughs> types, this can be intimidating. You know, my my wife will classically say to me, why do you need more books to play pretend? I have to tell you this. I started, when I started playing fourth edition, I was a broke high school student and didn't have a job at the time. And the only book I could afford was the rules compendium. I couldn't even afford a player handbook. So I just had the rules compendium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was just this book. It was like this thick. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a just a compendium of all the rules. And I was a very casual gamer. I didn't even have my own dice when I started playing the game. I was literally just borrowing dice off people. Yeah, nobody does. Or at least most people don't. Or didn't, yeah. you know. Now, again, with Amazons and, and all this. Because for years, you know, your your friendly local gaming store was also usually the comic book shop. And whatever else. And so those funny looking little rocks were just overlooked. You know, I mean, now with Amazon and, you know, again, go back to Critical Role and all the other stream stuff. It's much more in the mainstream or at least in a significant stream than it used to be. And so you can buy dice of all kinds on Amazon. And it's a lot of, you know, be it... You know, card game, board game shops now are are fairly big, especially area where where I live, and they have all this stuff because it is their hobbies that kind of run together. Right, being a casual gamer is, I mean, it's a it's a it's where everybody starts, and some people just don't move on from being a casual gamer, and that's perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it probably, in all honesty, it's it's good to have one or two that are those in your group to kind of keep the rest of you a little more grounded because you know speaking for myself i can get obsessive with things and oh i want this game and i want that game and i want and you know like you know my wife will ask me is there anything you want off of amazon (laughs) do you want me to give you the whole list (laughs) (sighs) the other thing is is you may have someone who's a casual gamer in the context of role-playing games but they're really into card games or board games Right. And so because they're more into board games or card games or what have you, maybe they're not as not as as deep into RPGs and role playing games than than somebody who's very dedicated to it. Right. And and that's, you know, look, everybody has their own brand of fun. Right. And I think not to be rude, but I think you see a lot of casual gamers who are maybe butt kickers or tacticians who are just here, you know, they play more of a, a straight role, you know, I'm here to kick butt and then leave. And so you see more of a casual gamer in that type of player. 
yeah, I think that's fair. You know, it's it's not. Uh, also, sometimes these are the people who who don't know the rules as well because well they're just not as into it. You know, they don't go home and sit in a chair for three hours with a game manual in their lap because they just aren't that into it. Right. Maybe you just don't care that much. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's perfectly acceptable. You can just not care. Yeah. And that's really the thing about all of these types is it's not that there's anything wrong with any of them, but if you're aware of what you want in a game, you can ask more informed questions to find out what type of game everyone else is looking to play to know what elements to play up in, in your own play style so that everyone has a good time. Right. Absolutely. So I think with covering the casual gamer, then we've covered all of the basic types that I think we're going to cover today. Now there is, we both took it and there is a, a quiz out there. If you're looking for it, you can look up, um, player types, Robin laws quiz. You'll find it easily on Google. I think we'll, probably drop a link to it as well maybe in the show notes and it's a good way to get an idea of what what type of player you are what your dominant traits are and and get an idea of maybe maybe the next time you sit at a table you go oh i'm mostly a storyteller with partly being a method actor with partly being a butt kicker so now you have that mindset and can maybe talk to your party and 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 be more effective at gaming and, and get the most out of your gaming. Right. And and that's, you know, the thing is, if you're the person who really wants to be a method actor and the rest of your table is casual, you know, not to be rude, but they're probably going to think you're a little strange. Right. Well, and maybe that's when you make the decision to find a new gaming group. Yeah. And again, these are these are good tools to have sitting down at a session zero or even sitting down at session 200 and zero, like, like whatever yeah. it's, it's good to know what type of player you are because maybe it gives you flexibility. Maybe by knowing your, maybe by knowing what you normally play, you can get out of your comfort zone if you want to do that and, and be a little bit more flexible as a player, play a different character type. Yeah. It's, you know, as with most things in life, I think, the key and a lot of times to getting more enjoyment is knowing what you want. And sometimes to know what you want, you have to know what you are. Right. And yeah, that's, that's completely accurate. So with that, I think we're going to move into our games of the week. Oh boy. And so do you want to start or you want me to start? Uh, you go ahead. All right. <laughs> Mine that I picked is a bit of a comedy game. It's fairly popular, but I just, it, I, I want to play it. I want to highlight it. I want more people to know about it. It's called Feng Shui 2. And I'm saying that that particular way because this is a game less about being serious and more about being as goofy and silly as, as is reasonable. If you've ever seen the movie Big Trouble in Little China or Buckaroo Banzai, those any, old, what was that? Or any Jackie Chan movie. A, any of the American Jackie Chan movies, especially. Well, even a lot of his older Hong Kong stuff. Right. And, and if you've sat through any of those and gone, wow, 
wow, that was a fun time. I wish I could play a game like that. Feng Shui really allows you to play a game type that. Yes. It Their tagline on the drive through RPG page is Feng Shui 2, kick butt, blow things up, save the world. That is the best description of that game that I think I could ever come up with. And it's all about just fun, silly adventures. And mm-hmm. that's what I, you know, it's what I like in my movies and that's what I like in my games. <laughs> yeah. And, and here's the thing, even if you're into dark and gritty stuff and you like to play horror games or whatever, games like Feng Shui are fabulous for just every now and then, hey, we're going to do something different. Let's do this thing. And everyone just, you get all the gonzo out of your system. Right. Or maybe not all of it, but you get the gonzo out. And sometimes that can actually, I think, if you're trying to, you're playing a long, really serious campaign, every now and then having a game session or two where you don't do that, where you do something the polar opposite, actually reinforces the tone you're trying to achieve in the other game. Well, I'll be honest. If you're if you're a player who plays a lot of grim, dark characters, you'll have a blast with Feng Shui because you can play a grim, dark character, and everybody else is going to be a whack job, and <laughs> you'll just be the only guy that's like, <laughs> and yeah, it, <laughs> it. And Feng Shui is a really good game for all of the player types. It's got really simple rules, so your rules lawyers. You know, you guys can can agonize over the really, really base rule set. The storytellers have a good time because it is a story driven game. Your your murder homo, your murder hobos, or your um, power gamers can attempt to optimize and and make everything out to be as as powerful or as killy as possible. It's a it's a game for everyone. It's it can be a little bit. It's maybe not so much for kids. You could play a kids game with it, but it is a little bit more adult in certain situations. But yeah, it's all up to who's running the game. So I just thought of a character that I think could be incredibly funny to play in a Feng Shui. And you'll get this reference, I know. Could play Sphinx from Gone in 60 Seconds. Yes. Yes, you could. Not that you couldn't play him in another game, but I w- this is a character that I always found quite amusing really even though he was not at all written is an amusing character absolutely absolutely i i think and you know if you can think of a character in a movie that is an exaggeration you can play that character i was gonna say i think you know i've not read feng shui it does like you i i would really like to play it at some point but i think it it's intended to lean into the tropes and be the cheesy 80s action hero oh absolutely i've i've heard enough actual play of feng shui that i know that it is meant to be the 80s action hero move game mm-hmm. and that i'm sure is available on drive through it is it's actually on sale on drive through when we record this it's down from 49 to 19 oh wow so yeah that's a that's a pretty good Pretty good discount there, so. Yeah, that is. That's impressive. So is that all you have on that one, or? That's that's all I have on mine. Well, I was actually going to go uh, a bit more comedic as well, and I decided to go, there's kind of been a movement towards short, quick, less serious in a lot of ways games, but, but games where 
it's more about just getting together and having some fun with your friends and having a random element of dice within it. And some of these are literally just one page. And someone who's garnered a lot of attention for his one-page RPGs is a guy named Grant Howitt. And um, among other things, he wrote the uh, Honey Heist, which you've heard played on Critical Role a few times. I've heard it a few other places. But he has one that he's put out, and this is actually free if you Google it. You can find links to it. It's on DriveThru. It's on Itch.io. He actually posted it on his Twitter Um, But this is called Jason Statham's Big Vacation. And essentially what you do is you play his entourage while he is on vacation. And you have to try and keep him from being dead, sad, arrested, or bored. (laughs) And again, it all fits on one page. And there are random roles for what he's doing on this holiday (laughs) that he's on. Um, You could be in an art gallery. You could be at a national park. You could be at a petting zoo, you know, and then there's another table. Well, I say table, it's D20 roll, the various threats. And of course the reoccurring bad guy, the Murdoch to throw a MacGyver reference in is the Wesley sniper. (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty good uh that sounds like a good time i that's that's something that and i like those and, and you know i like those one page rpgs because it's like you throw it in a binder with all of your other game stuff and then when you're sitting down in the middle of a campaign and you're going oh man i didn't have time to prep anything and i don't want to do any of that you just pull that out and go all right let's play this Yep, or two people didn't show up, and or the person who couldn't make it because their car broke down that day right. is is really involved in the storyline you're in, so you want to do something else. Stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, or everybody's burnt out, or it's the holidays. Oh, man, the holidays are the... Man, when it gets closer to Thanksgiving, we got to talk about planning around holidays. Oh, gosh, yes. Well, Fourth of July, any yeah. of them. Any of them, it, the like I think I think it's harder to plan around Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's than it is any of the summer holidays. Uh huh. But that's just you know that's something we're gonna have to talk about closer to that time because. Yeah. Uh, but no, I love those one-page RPGs. I love the uh, 200-word RPG challenge. I read that every year just to find some good ones. Oh, and there's a ton of those out there. Uh, yeah, if you just Google one-page RPGs, you can find them. I know um, James D'Amato, I believe, is working on a published book of them. Ooh. Um, I forget what it's supposed to be called, but I know he's been talking about it on his some of his podcasts. But he's just well, basically can... giving a, a curated compilation of them. You can color me impressed. <laughs> I hear you typing furiously. Yeah, I'm currently looking that up. I forget what it's called. Something, the ultimate micro RPG something or other, I think. But yeah, they're they're wonderful little change of pace. Just, you know, so to speak, casual game, for lack of a better way to do it. You know, you literally can use, you know, index cards for character sheets. Right. Well, and I we haven't talked about this, but everybody at our table uses... Um, boogie boards 
which mm-hmm. are these easily erasable, basically like notepad type things. And you could make a character sheet on one of those. I mean, seriously. Yeah, just don't bump the button. But if you did, who cares? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a one-page RPG. Yeah, these are those uh, boogie boards, a brand name, but they're the, what are they called, electronic drawing pads? Yeah, I think that's what they're referred to. You can find them at most, um, most like, uh, 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 what do you call those? Office supply stores. That's the yeah. word I was looking for. Yeah, Office Depot, Staples, yeah. et cetera. Um, yeah, they're all over Amazon. They're fairly cheap, and they're really nice for taking quick notes that you don't want to keep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, something maybe else. Yeah. Well, that's a different topic for a different day. But anyway. Yeah, I, I, I definitely love those one-page RPGs. They're, yeah. they're a good time. They're a lot of fun. And the other thing, it, hey, look, even if you don't want to do a one-page RPG, you could even do kind of a silly one-off, theoretically in a system that you already know be it, you know, D&D or Cyberpunk, whatever, where you're just, well, yeah, there's rules, but we're playing really fast and loose with them because we're just screwing around and having fun. Also like to point out that the Ultimate Micro RPG book, 40 Fast and Easy, 40 Fast, Easy and Fun Tabletop Games by James D'Amato is out. Oh, it is out. <laughs> it is. Uh, actually, it is out on November 3rd, but ah. it is on Amazon where you can purchase it now. So, okay, for pre-order. For pre-order, I, yes. Yeah. Okay, I knew he was working on it. I wasn't sure. Yep. So, uh, you just hit add to cart and... <laughs> <laughs> it's an addiction, folks. <laughs> it's a hobby. <laughs> it is. Hey, I, I'm I'm no better, uh, you know. <laughs> Trust me, if, gotta... if I wanted to go on Amazon and start adding gaming books, oh, gosh. You gotta, um... <laughs> You can't call it an addiction. It's a hobby. <laughs> but with that, I think we've reached the end of our episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want to thank you for listening and uh, be kind to one another. Yes, be kind, find a game, and play it. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Robin's laws of good game and let's try that again. All right. That was like the worst I could have done. <laughs>